Welcome to episode 181 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about building an embroidery business with my guest, Anne Oliver. For Anne of Lolly and Grace, drawing, painting, and crafts have been a part of her life since almost the very beginning. She spent several years out of college working at a small independent craft store, a dream job for sure, and then started her own business, hand painting clothing, custom murals, and furniture. For her, color has always been a source of inspiration. And years later, serendipity led her to blend that love of color with embroidery, designing, and writing to offer hand embroidery patterns and kits for all levels of stitchers. She's been featured in several publications, including Homespun Magazine and the Better Homes and Gardens Christmas Crafts issue. Anne Oliver, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to talk to you. As you know, I've been following your work for many years. You have a really beautiful and very distinctive aesthetic. It's one of those accounts on Instagram where as soon as you see it, you know exactly who it belongs to, which is actually pretty hard to achieve and something I definitely want to talk to you about. But um, let's start kind of back in the beginning. It sounds like you've been crafty your whole life. So where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, which is actually where I still am. I'm sort of back here. And um, so I'm a Texas girl and a lot of good things about that. Um, and so, yeah, I from if I tell people I can actually remember my very first craft project. And I was probably in I was probably in preschool, like maybe three or four years old and I distinctly remember it and it was like this little jar where you painted this paint on it and then I guess you maybe put a blow dryer on it and it kind of crystallized it was red and I was captivated even at such a young age about this thing where you got to take color and paint and some other object and make this beautiful thing with it um but yeah, then a little bit later on, I started drawing, um, just draw, I just spent years just drawing, drawing, I was horse crazy, and I had a good friend that lived across the alley from me, and we would spend all summer long, just, she was horse crazy, draw, drawing, 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 just pencil, number two pencil, and a sketchbook. Yeah, and I so, knew, I knew girls like that when I was in school, yeah. the girls who drew horses, yep. <laughs> yeah, because that was us all yeah. the time. And and then we had a really neat opportunity in sixth grade. Our teacher had introduced us to what was called a sun, I believe it was a sunset project. So in, in our schooling at sixth grade was where you, you went through K through six. And then after six, she moved on to junior high. So it was our last year at this elementary school, same school that my daughter actually went through too. So that's a sort of a neat circle thing. But anyway, um, it was a big mural. So we, we'd st- we were the first ones to do it. It was her idea. And so we, st- it was 1976. Of course, that dates me. But it was, so we did the bicentennial. And so we did this, we took part of the, cal- uh, I mean, the uh, cafeteria wall and we painted this big mural of, you know, 1776. And so I got to be on the committee that helped draw it along with my horse loving friend, whose name was also Abby, by the way. Ah. And um, 
so that was so we got to like get out of class and go stand on the scaffolding and paint on this wall and we were featured in the little local local newspaper and that was just so much fun and I didn't realize how that would sort of um that was sort of a a preview to what I was going to do later in life for a while there but anyway so then you know went on up through school in college I did a lot of um cross-stitch, you know, cross-stitch was big in the 80s, so that's what I was doing, Uh, but college was busy. I was an English major, and um, so even so busy in college, I didn't even have time to read for pleasure, even though I'm a voracious reader. I had to stop doing that because you're just busy reading for other, for class and things, but anyway, did a lot of cross-stitch, liked cross-stitch, but found it to be a little stressful because of all the counting, and if you're off by one number the whole thing is off and I'm wondering why you why you didn't major in art because it just sounds like you were obviously very interested in art all the way through um, school before college but then you went on to to be an English major was someone in your life telling you that that was more practical you know it was my own misguided thinking and I I look back now and I kick myself I'm like what was I thinking because I specifically said to myself Oh, I don't want to do, I mean, this just shows how young I was and un, uh, uh, unclear about how the world worked. But I was like, I don't want to do art for someone else, like a clone. I, you know, I just want to do art for me. And I don't know why I didn't. And I did end up taking some art classes, which I loved. And even in that short time, I learned some wonderful techniques. But looking back, don't get me wrong. I love having my English degree because it helped me. It even helps me now. I, I definitely being writing patterns. I do not regret that at, at all. But why did I not get an art degree where I could have just learned the techniques that I could have applied to anything? Back then, you know, there was no internet to, you know, research things and get a view of what other people are doing. And there was no Instagram and no Pinterest. So you had to sort of just sort of either know things or know someone who taught you things. I thought that art was a very narrow path at the time that it was going to be, you know, commercial art working for a client and doing what they wanted to do. Very misguided. Wish I had made a different decision, at least added a minor in art, but I I didn't. Um, So anyway, that's why I didn't do art in college, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. But that makes sense. And I'm on a big, I'm on a long arc here. Yeah, exactly. And, and obviously we're, we're lifelong learners, so it's okay. Right. So, yeah. So you came out of, out of college and is the, um, is the art and craft store that you went to work for still around? Unfortunately, it's not. Okay. Um, I mean, it was the, this was the time when Michaels was was huge. Um, Hobby Lobby was not around then. Joanne Fabrics, they were more fabrics than than crafts like they are now at the time. But Michaels was huge. Um, but yes, it was these two women owned this store. Well, they had purchased it. It was it was called Arnold's. And if anyone's ever lived in Dallas during that time, they're probably familiar with it. But it was. Um, just the coolest place. Um, uh, another man had started it. They bought it from him when he, I guess, wanted to retire. And it was like this little, it had all these nooks and crannies and these neat decorations in the store and like different pathways through it. And cool. I had a, a gazebo inside, uh, which is where the registers were and a, like a cart with candy on it. It was just so cool. And they were advertising for someone to come do their displays and I was like, well, I, you know, maybe I can, anyway, I, I was in there shopping and I, I saw the sign and I talked to them and 
this was a big deal for me because I was very, at the time I called myself shy, I think I was like an introvert. So speaking out and like promoting myself and stepping forward was like hard for me. And, um, but I, you know, I interviewed for this job and they were like, yeah, sure. I think you can do this. Well, it turned out to be such a neat opportunity. And I worked there for, I don't know the total number of years, maybe eight or nine years. And, um, Oh wow. That's a long time. Yeah. 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 And I, but I ended up, you know, working back in the, in the back part, which was like the paints and the crafts and jewelry. And, um, again, it was the late eighties and decorating clothes, painting clothes, decorating with all sorts of oh, yeah. gob, everything. I remember the, the, the days of like splatter painting and jean jackets and all that. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. So that was a lot, all that. But I got, for me, it was a, it was a chance to um, obviously, well, let me jump back a minute. I used to say, going into Mike, I was like, boy, my dream job would be to work at a craft store and like work with all these craft things. Well then, so now here I am working in a craft store and not just any craft store, this amazing little wonderful craft store. And so I'm getting to help customers pick out paints for their projects. And I'm learning about every product and doing jewelry and painting on shirts and, um, you know, uh, just ordering the supplies. And so it was just such, and the people were wonderful, of course, so it was a really, really great, and I did the displays too, along with that. So that you know was a sort of a different mind, form uh, section of my brain to display items up in the front of the store, and that was neat. So, um, so yeah, it was really, really a, a wonderful opportunity. It almost sounds like um, it was like another education in a way. Like you had this English education, and I asked you why you didn't go to art school or get an art degree. But it's almost like the second, you know, education that you had in like retail craft. Very much, very much so. And, and I also was, um, I was thinking that I also started creating the patterns for the people to like paint their shirts. And I, I realized again, that now plays into exactly what I'm doing now. Um, and so, yes, it was very much an education um, it was working with people, which was good for me, like I said, as an introvert to like really interact with people who were trying to learn something or pick out a color or learn a craft or how to do something and do multiple kinds of things. And, um, yeah, it was just such an education. And, and you asked if they are still open. I wish they were that the, the two women that owned it, you know, they were got later in life. And so they ended up closing it. And, but what's funny is that I still dream about that place. <sighs> it was obviously such a formative time. I still to this day have dreams where I'm like, I'm the age I am now. And I go back and I'm walking through the store and I'm saying hi to the people I know. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, I love this section of the store. And I mean, That's it, funny. Dream. So obviously it was a very formative time. I know if I dream about something a lot, it's it was a formative time for me. That's funny. Yeah. So okay. So that's great though. And I I've talked to several other guests on this show who've had that retail experience, whether they've worked in a yarn shop for several years or they've worked in a quilt shop 
for some time and just that experience of understanding, you know, how to order products um, mm-hmm. from manufacturers and understanding how that works, understanding displays and also just talking and interacting with customers and seeing, you know, what their questions are. And um, that has been incredibly informative to them when they've gone on to then work in the industry. And so I, I do think that that um, that's a thread to follow for, for people who are thinking about um, how they might sort of enter that is a way to enter and get a really great education. Um, so just something for people to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah, it's and, so And cool. on the face of it, they, it doesn't look like a very similar um, path to what I do now, which is, you know, work at home and create my own stuff. But I, I look back now and I see all of the things I learned then, as you say, that I'm feeding into what I'm doing now. Like you say, ordering products, stocking, how much to stock, um, when to order things, how to, you know, contact the suppliers or how to find them. Of course, like I said, there was no internet then. (laughs) So, but um, yes, so many things feed into in subtle ways sometimes and in very um, big ways, foundational ways into what I do now. Yeah, so cool. Okay, great. So um, it sounds like you you maybe had... Um, had a, a child um, somewhere I in did, there, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, and motherhood yeah. motherhood changes things uh, for sure. Oh gosh, yes, it does. I, I had a like I said, I, I mentioned before, or I in the bio you read that when I left working there, I in, did start my own little business, um, painting murals and furniture. That was a, and and I actually did shirts too. I painted a lot of shirts and and sold them to some uh, local stores here. So that too was also kind of a um, a preview of you know, a a learning process. And uh, so, yeah, I spent some time doing that. And I did have my daughter a little bit later in life. But so, but yeah, the adjustment from being a crafter who had all the time in the world to think about things and get something accomplished to suddenly I have five minutes to accomplish something. And I just want to get started. You have to stop. (laughs) That was a difficult adjustment. And I remember thinking I was just so thirsty for something creative. I loved being a mother. She was a great kid, loved having a baby, loved staying home with her. But there was also this part of me that was desperate for something to do something creative and to use that creative part of my brain and my hands and, you know, think about a creative endeavor that is so different from raising a child, you know, raising a baby, being at home with a baby. And it was a difficult adjustment. The t- just the just the chunks of time were different. Before I had large chunks of time. Suddenly you have, like I said, sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's 45 minutes while they're asleep. And she was not always the best napper. So I'd be like, just when I would got into the groove, she's awake. And I'm like, okay, I have to drop this. So that was different. And um, also some learned some lessons about how to think about how you use your time or how to, um, you know, what's good time and what's, you know, not productive time. But yeah, you know, it's gotten easier. She's gotten older. She's, um, she's 17 now. So (laughs) that's a different time of its, I mean, different in its own way. You know, I, I, now it's like, it's like it's flipped. Now I'm busy with work, but now I'm like, I don't want to do this. She's about to be gone to college. Yeah. I just did a college visit yesterday. So it's like, 
I'm going to put aside my work to go spend my time with her. And so right. I've been to be able to spend so much time with her. It's been wonderful. Yeah, totally. I, I now have two teenagers. I have a freshman and a junior and a nine-year-old. So, right, I'm entering that second phase. So I yeah. hear you. And oddly enough, I – oh, not oddly enough. I actually have another daughter, which is a, a, a much longer story. She's in her 30s. She's married. She has two – daughters of her own, but I, she's actually adopted. She's, um, I'll make this a very long story and make it very short. She was, um, a cousin of mine and I, we helped raise her when she was young. And, uh, when she got older, um, her relationship with her own parents was not great. Then as she got older and she got married and had a child, she was like, I want you guys, my husband and I to be my parents. And I want, you know, Gracie, my daughter to be my sister, well, you had formally adopt me. And so we spent several years exploring that and like how that was going to work. And so several years back, we actually formally adopted her. It was a wonderful day to go and stand in front of a judge with a 30 something. And he was looking at us like, well, you know, we're in the family court with divorces and custody battles and all this really sad news. And here's this family that wants to come together and be adopted. And he was like, this is this is really wonderful for me. This is I don't Aww, usually have this happen. Yeah. So, so I have two daughters. I have to say I have two daughters. So that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there's all different ways to have a family. So that's yeah. that's great. That is really great to hear. Um, okay, so all right, so here we are. You um, have had these sort of varying um, craft experiences, craft um, careers um, that have sort of started and stopped for different reasons. And you're at home, you're craving um, to use your hands again and use your creative um, brain again, as you said. And um, and so it's. I think your first foray, and I think maybe the first way that I connected with you is through doll making, because I, um, as as I think some listeners will know, am a doll maker and love to make dolls and toys, and that was how I got into crafting. Um, back in two thousand and five, and um, and I think you were making handmade dolls as well, and I think that's how I found you. Yes, that's true. Um, I was just sort of puttering around in doing just different kind of crafts, and. Uh, it's so funny. I, I don't know if it was just like a like a bolt of lightning, or if it was a culmination of years and years and years of things. Maybe both. But l- almost literally one day, I said to myself, "You know, I I kind of want to do something with embroidery and wool felt. I I don't know what it, that would be, but you know, Instagram had kind of started by that time, and Pinterest was had definitely started by that time. And I was like, I just think I want to kind of maybe do try some embroidery and and wool felt." And that kind of came together with dolls. And um, so, yeah, wool felt dolls and embroidery. And I started this business. It was called Lolly Dolls at the time. And, yes, so that's what started out um, how I got here. And um, it's it's so funny. It was just like this kind of bolt of inspiration. And I came up with patterns for three dolls. And I was thinking to myself, I don't know, maybe, maybe somebody else would want to make these too. And I just was kind of making them to fulfill my own desires to, like I said, work with wool felt and embroidery. I was like, maybe I can try selling them. Maybe I will. And Etsy was going at that time. And so I just kind of dipped a toe in and a couple of people wanted to buy them. And then here I am. <laughs> so were they patterns from the get-go or were you actually trying to sell finished um, dolls? It was, it was patterns. Okay. I knew that, in the, you know, for me, I, I, and sometimes a perfectionist and, and I like to put a lot of detail and I knew that I would not be able to 
I mean, I probably could have. I mean, people sell beautiful dolls, beautiful high-end dolls for lots of money um, and are very successful at it. And so there is a market for it, obviously. But I just knew for me that I didn't want – I just thought to myself, maybe sell a couple of finished, but mostly I wanted to sell the patterns. I knew that for me, I, I, I deal better with sort of shorter projects that I can see the, uh, the finish of them. That's why I didn't become a quilter. I love fabric. And I love, and I know how to sew, and I tried to quilt, but for me, I knew I was never going to actually finish one. Yeah. <laughs> and so to do a shorter project, so a doll, the dolls I was designing are were longer, and I did make the patterns for the patterns are like 30, 50 pages long, because <laughs> I just, I talk a lot when I type out how to do instructions. And um, I just thought patterns for me were going to be a, a just a clearer path for me. Um, although I did sell some finished dolls too. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's how I found you in the beginning. And then though, right, you don't do dolls now. So obviously, and the name of your business changed, it's not Lolly yeah. Dolls, it's Lolly and Grace. So there was a shift that you made. And I think that, um, sometimes when we start a business, we, um, and then somehow realize, wait a minute, we're maybe not on the right path. Maybe there's not as much of a product market fit, right? In other words, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe you try something different and the different thing sells better um, because maybe it's quicker to make, it's easier for people to understand, um, it's more appealing or whatever. And so um, it can be scary to, to make that change, you know? Um, and so I'm just wondering – what happened where you saw, okay, wait a minute, I need to, to, to move away from, from my original idea. I need to, to make this change and, and how that felt for you. It was scary. You're right. And fortunately I wasn't, it wasn't like I was 10 years into this. You know, I wasn't so deep into dolls only that it was that much of a shift, but it was a shift. And you know, it's scary to change your name and your, you know, your, everything, you know, you, you, what little target market I, what little market I had, you know, customer base I had found at the time, I'm like, I feel like I'm abandoning them and I'm just going to go this direction. I'm going to be like, well, I don't care about that. You know, I don't want to follow you anymore. It is very scary. Um, but for me, it was, it was both of those things you mentioned. It was both, um, what are people going to be? Well, for me, it was like a larger target market. Like I said, there's a, a market for dolls, but it's a, it's much more of a niche market and hand embroidery patterns and stitching and embroidery in general. There's a huge market, you know, huge customer base. There's quilters that do it and there's sewers that do it and there's cross stitchers that do it. And there's people that have never done it before feel like, yeah, I can pick that up and I can do that. So m- many more opportunities to find people, like-minded people. And personally, for me, I love the dolls. I, I To this day, I still come up with ideas for dolls. I'm like, oh, I would love to do, you know, explore that. But I, I actually have, it's much better now, but there was a while there where I have rheumatoid arthritis and where stuffing the dolls, I like my dolls stuffed very tightly. Oh, me and too. Was, they're rock killing. hard. <laughs> yes, they're rock hard. And it, that takes a lot of hand strength. It and does. by the time I was done, even just making like the one for the, you know, the demo, like, oh, my hands are killing me. I, I hate stuffing. How can I love dolls, making dolls and love the stuff? I mean, I hate the, love making the dolls, hate the stuffing part. It's like, I don't know that I can do this forever. So that, um, that also led me to, 
and, and plus, like I mentioned, I do better with smaller, shorter term projects. And I knew uh, an embroidery hoop. I can totally be happy with that from beginning to end. And even now, even now, by the end of a project, I'm like putting the last stitches in thinking, I cannot wait to start the next one. I'm ready to be done with this because I'm excited about the next one. <laughs> so it all just was a better fit for me personally. Mm-hmm. Right. It's so interesting. And I think um, just finding that wider audience also, you know, it helps maybe to build the business that you wanted. Um, right. Which is not necessarily everybody's business, but it was the business that you wanted for a lot of the reasons that you just described. Okay. So, so you did, um, you did make that shift and, um, and, and, and so describe the, the sort of products that you have, um, in your, in your line now, like what, what is, as far as the patterns are concerned, because you have some other things that you carry too, but, um, mm-hmm. what, what is Lolly and Grace as far as patterns are concerned? I guess me, both patterns and kits. What, what is in there now? Yeah. For all of my things, I generally, pretty much generally have both a PDF pattern available and a kit, not for every single thing for a kit, but most of them. And it's generally embroidery hoops that are um, either small ones or larger ones, like eight-inch ones. Um, and then I also sort of concurrently have a line of uh, uh, wool felt Christmas or ornaments, not always Christmas. So there's that wool felt and embroidery piece from when I first started because I, st- I still love working with wool felt. And um, I kind of have a personal history with felt ornaments. I, I always, every year, and I've just sort of, and wrapping up the ones I've done for this year, I'm about to release three more um, new Christmas ornaments, wool felt ornaments. But I, re- as, as a child, again, jumping back, I remember my mother and my sister and I spent a day making felt Christmas ornaments, like with the sequins and the, you know, very 1970s. And I just so clearly remember that day. And I still have so many of those ornaments, like it's a little snowman, a little Santa, a little bell. And I loved that so much that not just doing it with my mom and my sister, but hanging them on the tree every year and then now having them in that memory. That's why every year I create more wool felt ornaments. Um, and now I'm doing for other holidays, other, you know, Easter and things too. Um, so that that's why it's sort of like these two sort of things, the embroidery designs and the ornaments. So those two things. Um, so yeah, that's basically it. And the, the doll patterns are still in there. I leave them in there. Um, the ones I, the three, the first three that I created originally are still there and I still sell them. I don't market them necessarily, but people are still looking for them. So they do still sell occasionally. It's always really sweet to see. It's like, oh, I sold a doll pattern from way back when. And then you've expanded into also including some supplies. Like you have a really adorable line of needle minders, for example. And are these products that you're designing and having manufactured, are these things that you're sourcing? Um, A little bit of both, mostly sourcing. I, when I first introduced some needle minders and if someone's not familiar a needle minder is a just a little object little usually a little flat object that has a magnet on the back and you have a you put a washer on the back and so you clip it basically you stick it onto your embroidery hoop so that when you're not stitching with your needle you can just pop your needle on there and it holds your needle keeps your needle from like having to stick it in the arm of a couch or just or whatever or the 
middle of your fabric, you know, hold it to hold it while you're not stitching. So that's what a needle minder is. So when I first started them, I did design, um, I think three or four designs that I, again, made out of wool felt and I pulled out my stash of beads and you have to kind of work very small because they can't be too big. So you have to think small with that when you're designing. So, but I made like a couple of moths and a rainbow and, um, they just, they take a lot of time and I love doing it and they sold out immediately. I haven't had a chance to, again, I've got designs floating around in my head. I haven't had a chance to make more of them, but I do have a whole line of ones that I've sourced and that's been fun to just try to, to figure out, you know, what do people want? Are llamas still in? They are, um, you know, coffee, that's a big thing. Um, so yes, and, and the supplies has been sort of a natural progression. So hoops and needles and, um, you know, twill tape for wrapping your hoop. And, you know, what are the things that I, I, I'm trying to bring in things that I use and love every single day so that I know why stitchers would want to use them. And I know they're good quality. And then when you create a kit, you know, you're not just throwing a bunch of stuff into a box and sending it out. You have a very thoughtful way of putting the items together. And so the unboxing experience for the customer is truly special. So could you describe what it looks like so that when somebody gets the kit from Lolly and Grace – um, they are having this, what I would describe as really memorable experience, because I think that that's what brings people back and, um, what, you know, has people, for example, gifting, um, this product to their friends, because it does really make a sweet gift, especially during the pandemic for the holidays, mm-hmm. et cetera. Well, first, thank you for saying that because I do, I did put and do still put a lot of thought into how it's packaged. Um, and, um, my husband kind of kids me lovingly kids me about how I I was sending out a bunch one time and I was like, can you help me tape these? Because I'm like, this is going crazy and I just need some help. And I was like, no, no, honey, that, that tape is wrinkled on the, I'm gonna talk about the packing tape on the outside of the box. Right. You know, I'm like, no, honey, I don't like it wrinkled. You just please, please let me do that part. (laughs) So he kids me now because my labels have to be straight and, you know, I'm not too obsessive about it, but I like it to look really nice. And so now I'm like, honey, see this lady, this very nice customer wrote me this note that said, I loved opening your package. I could tell how much care you you took with it. I was like, see, honey, it's worth it. But yes, um, and I do enjoy putting, when I'm first deciding like how I'm going to package all the items together in the kit, I'm like, I'm going to put this piece here and this is going to fit in this section of the bag. And yeah, I, I can't, I can't just, I can't just throw it in a bag. I just can't, you know, and how am I going to, you know, how the thread's going to be laid out. And when I lay out all the threads, I like all the labels to be up and it does take time, I will admit, but I'm, you get faster at it as you, you know, figure out your, your, um, you know, your system. But I do, and then, you know, I, I like to write, I, I'm also a photographer. I spent years learning photography, which, again, one of those things did not see me using it like this. But I am so grateful every single day that I spent several years learning photography because I use it every day for product photography. That's huge in this very visual online selling. You've got to have good photos, right? Um, but I, anyway, I put a card in there that's a like a floral photo that I've taken and I write a little hand handwritten note on the back a thank you note with their name on it and um, a, a little sticker and 
Um, so yeah, I, I do, and I do love it when I get orders for gifts, and you know, I get to write the no- the note that says, you know, Mom, so sorry we can't see you right now, but hopefully this will make your day brighter. And I'm like, oh, that just that's so great. <laughs> and and you know, during this pandemic, kits have obviously been a huge thing. You just get all the supplies delivered to you, and you don't have to go shop for them. Um, even though shopping online is is a thing for everyone. It's so nice to be able to just have it arrive at your doorstep and you can open it up and you can just start. Yeah, absolutely. And there, um, we have an article, which I'll link to, um, that we wrote um, at Craft Industry Alliance about your business. And there are some pictures in that article of the mm-hmm. packaging of your kits. So if people are curious to kind of see what that photo card looks like and the tape and all the rest, um, you can come take a look because it is really very pretty. And I think for people who are sort of looking for some inspiration, like how can I make my tissue look nice, et cetera, um, it's, it is definitely worth checking out um, for sure. And, and you're right that kits have been really huge during the pandemic when it's difficult to go to multiple places to, to shop for supplies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so that's huge. Um, and um, I'd love for you to talk talk a little bit about your product photography because, um, well, first of all, um, why did you study photography those years back when you weren't necessarily having an online business? Were you just (laughs) interested? Did you just have like a hobby of, you know, learning photography on your own? I did. It it sort of started with scrapbooking, like I think for many people. Um, My daughter was young at the time. She was like 18 months old, which is the worst time to learn how to do child photography because they don't sit still. Um, So, but yes, I wanted to uh, photograph her. You know, she's born. I'm taking these snapshots on these, you know, those early digital cameras. And I'm like, why is everybody so gray and splotchy? That doesn't look like, I don't like that. And so I I was like, I'm going to learn how to photograph her. So it started like that. I, there was a, People may be familiar with a, there was a huge scrapbooking site called Two Peas in a Bucket. So I was on the scrapbooking site and I'm like, oh, there's a photography, you know, section of it. So I ended up being more involved on the photography section. And in fact, ended up that the core group of people that came from that, that whole site is gone now, unfortunately. But, you know, that core group of photo friends, photography friends that I've made, we're still together. We still have a group and we still, we hardly ever talk about photography anymore, (laughs) but you know, we still, we're now we're all these online friends. I've got people in Australia and all across the country, all different walks of life and beliefs, but we all come together about, you know, just life now and and a little bit of photography. But anyway, that's what started it. And um, so then I did spend years and I did do a little bit of client photography at the time. Um, but then my daughter got a little older and she could hit that age. She's like, I'm not, I don't want you to photo photograph, uh, photograph me anymore. Um, so I, I was kind of lost my model that I could say, put these clothes on and we're going to go out to this place and we're going to do a photo shoot. She was like, no mom. So she got a little older and I was like, I got to find something else to photograph that will, you know, do what I want it to do. So I, I kind of got into, still life, floral, still life. I love flowers. Obviously I could design floral patterns all day long, every day. But so I started doing flowers and so I got into a little bit more macro photography, which is super, super up close, you know, with that really shallow depth of field, which so for non-photography people, that's when like, you know, there's just like one little part of the flower is in focus and the rest that's in front of that or behind that is real softly blurred out. Um, I love that look. 
so I started teaching myself um, more macro photography and then along with that still life photography again not knowing that how how handy that would come in when now I'm ready to photograph you know a product so I already knew how to deal with lighting and editing and Photoshop and um, how to you know arrange things in a pleasing manner for flat lays um, I, it's so funny. I, I don't often look back on my life as like a, you know, an arc. But as I'm talking about it with you, I'm seeing all these things that I thought were kind of random and didn't really have a a larger purpose perhaps at the time. It was just something I wanted to do. I'm using all of them now, which is kind of cool now that I think about it. But yeah, that's how I got into photography and um yeah, it's invaluable. It is really and you know, I have this sort of all my life with crafts or whatever I've, or anything artistic that I've picked up, I had this kind of false sense of, you know, I, I like teaching myself things. So I don't mind, you know, reading books or looking at tutorials about how to learn something new. And generally things that I pick up, I would teach myself and be generally pretty successful at it at the beginning. Photography, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to learn how to do photography and be a good photographer. And, I, I'll, you know, I, it'll take a couple of months, but I'll get it. Photography is a much different beast, and it takes a little bit longer to really grasp all of it and get the experience you need. So it took me longer than I thought. It didn't take a couple of months to really get to where I wanted. But again, all of it, all that time spent was worth it. But yeah, photography is really, really important. And on Instagram, it's so visual. On Pinterest, definitely for selling. I mean, if you're going to sell something, people want to see it and they want to see it up close and they want to see it, you know, brightly lit and with good color. And so very, very important photography, I'd say. And what about learning layout and graphic design as far as like, you know, creating diagrams for your Mm -hmm. patterns? And do you use InDesign? Or how do you create the... um, yeah, the patterns that you sell, the PDF patterns. Yeah, when I really got serious about patterns, I was very conversant in Photoshop, having spent, you know, these these years working on photography. And you can do some graphic stuff in Photoshop, so I was comfortable there. But I remember asking, in fact, I went on my my photography group, you know, my, my P's, that we, we call each other P's. Um, I was like, how, you know, how do you guys, you know, have you all seen those patterns where the lines look really nice and everything's so professional? I said, I think I need, I was Photoshop. It was just so cumbersome. And one of my, those lovely people who was familiar, she's like, oh, that's Illustrator. She said, you know, you really should probably switch to Illustrator. I was like, oh, okay. Illustrator is also a beast. You know, one of those programs that has, you know, you can do anything in it, but it, there's a learning curve. And especially at first for me, I was trying to, they're very similar. They're both Adobe and they're both in the Adobe creative suite, but I was trying to use Photoshop commands or keystrokes and they're kind of similar, but not quite in illustrator. So I I spent, I remember it was a January when I said, okay, I'm going to teach myself illustrator. This was probably now, I don't know, three years ago. And I, I started in January and I spent about a month pulling my hair out screaming obscenities at my computer. It's like, I can't get this to work. Why aren't you just doing what I want you to do? But again, like anything, it was worth persevering and looking at all the tutorials and asking opinions about how do I do something and just slaving away in front of the computer, figuring out Illustrator. Obviously, there's so much to learn. You can never know all of it. But, you know, getting more comfortable with how to 
you know, create the design. So for me, here's my process. You didn't really ask this, but here's my process. I still like to go back to paper and pencil at the beginning. I just can't, I just can't start on the computer. I started learning Procreate, but I'm still comfortable with getting out a, a piece of tracing paper and a pencil and a soft eraser and just sketching out my, the plan and my idea and, you know, what it's going to look like. And so then I take that sketch, I scan it, and then I bring it into Illustrator. And then I, um, you know, go over it with the pen tool and I create a nice, you know, create each element in a nice clear line format. And then that's when I can resize it and move it around and adjust or delete or, you know, move things around. So then it's in Illustrator and then that's how I get the final pattern from Illustrator. Okay. And then when you're going about writing the instructions, Mm -hmm. is that laid out also in Illustrator? No, that I do that. I'm on a Mac, so I use um, Pages. Pages. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was just wondering about the last yeah. piece. Okay. Right. Got so, it. yeah, that's all done in Pages. Um, and, uh, yeah, again, that's where my English degree helps so I can write, you know, competently. And, um, you know, I, I sometimes I've wondered, am I too wordy? I, because I had an experience when I – actually, when I was very first starting dolls back way back then, I there was – a wonderful pattern designer and I love her stuff, but I ordered a pattern and I was like, this is going to be so much fun. And I got a pattern and I paid, I think $8 for it. And I got it and I was disappointed. You know, the doll itself was adorable, but the pattern was like two pages and it was, it was, you know, like a couple of hand-drawn diagrams and the, the instructions were like, you know, sew the two pieces together. And I thought, I mean, I, I, I knew how to work with my hands. I, I could figure it out. It's not that I couldn't figure it out. But I thought to myself, I just wanted a little more information, you know, some more detail. Are there any were there, are there any tips for how to sew the two pieces together? Is there something you want to avoid or something you want to make sure that you do while you're sewing? the? T- it's not like it was a complicated thing, but I just felt, oh, I just thought I was going to get more, right? So when I – and I vowed right then, if I ever write my own patterns, they're going to be – nice and complete, you know? And so they are, they do tend to be longer. Um, and my, my motto now is that I'm going to write a pattern so that if a, if a beginner gets it, they're not flailing. Like I, when you say do something, you're going to at least give me the basics about how to do it. If I, you're an experienced stitcher and you don't need that information, that's great. You can just skip that part. Or maybe you'll learn something, you know, different from what the way you've done it before and you'll be like oh that's a different way to do that maybe I'll try that I like it or don't like it but whatever the information is there so um that experience helped me form how I write my patterns that um so I mean I I like to give the information about you know complete supply list and how to do how to prepare things and how to a little tip for how to make this situation better and how to avoid this problem that can arise and then there's link to, links to supplies, and then every step has a photo, basically, that, you know, step one, do this, and then there's a photo for, here's a, you know, a picture about how to do that thing, or here's what it looks like when it's finished. So, yeah, my patterns tend to be a little bit longer, but I'm okay with that. They take time, but I wouldn't have it any other way, really. Yeah, and I think it's a great idea if you are just getting into patterns, to buy patterns from other makers whose patterns you like, you know, whose 
whose finished products, you know, the, the doll or, or the embroidery or whatever it might be you like and, um, and try to make them and see how the experience is. It's, it's informative and, um, you know, it's, it's looking, it's doing research and it's, it's helpful. Um, I definitely did that and there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. It's, yeah. in fact, it's something you should do. It's, you know, um, looking at the competition, understanding what the the market is offering and and thinking about how you can differentiate your product um it's absolutely okay to do that and something you should be doing so um so yeah yeah. so get out there you're so you're so right about the differentiation that you can and you know it's what can you do to make yours like you say not just different but to really promote it you know that it's not just like you say not just stuff thrown in a bag you can say this is a beautiful gift or these instructions are you know are very thorough. You won't be left hanging, you know. So exactly. You're, you're exactly right. Yeah. It's Same thing with kits. If you're going to do some kits, order some kits, you know, spend, mm-hmm. spend, you know, $75, $100, order, you know, a variety of kits that are similar um, to the kind of kits you might want to do. See what the unboxing experience is like. Look at what's inside. Look at the quality of materials um, and make them, you know, go ahead and make them up and, and yeah. see what it's like as a user because it is super um, helpful. Take some notes and think about what um, what you would want to do. I think that's that's great. Um, that's really great advice. And then as far as building your following and you've done a really great job and, and obviously you have a lot of skills, which we've talked about to do that. Um, but you know, one of the things that you, you've done really nicely is build this very hefty following on Instagram, which I think a lot of people would look at and say, Oh, wow. You know, I, I wish I could do that. I think you have something, um, upwards of 30,000 followers. Last time I checked, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, somewhere exactly. around there, um, on Instagram, on the Lolly and Grace account. And, um, and, and if anyone were to go and see, you know, it's, it's no wonder. The photography is very beautiful. As I said, it's very recognizable. Um, when you do, for example, post a text overlay on a picture, the font is always the same. It's, you know, two different fonts, but they're always the same fonts and they're the same colors and the consistency is, is really remarkable. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about, your Instagram strategy, like how often do you post and what kinds of things do you post? And I know some people um, I've talked to have said, well, how do I post so often? I don't have something to say every day or I don't have new work every day. Like how could I possibly share so much when I don't have something in progress to share um, all the time? So how you kind of get over that hurdle as well. Well, those are all such good points about Instagram. And I'll say I struggle with the exact same thing. I mean, when I'm working on a pattern, well, let me let me go back. When I first start, you know, I've talked about how all these things I did pre- in my previous life has helped me, have helped me now. Instagram totally had no, nothing to base anything how to deal with social media or Instagram. I mean, nothing. I was completely in the dark about, I had had done nothing in my life that prepared me about how to make this thing, how to grow this thing. And so I just was completely clueless. And, um, you know, at the, you know, you're searching for a, a information about how to make this work. There's so much out there. Some of it's great. Some of it is not so great. Some of it, they want to, they want you to pay them $600, for their course and it might be a great course. I'm not saying that a $600 course might not be great, 
but I mean, you, and you, but you don't know if you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. And you don't know if it's going to be great for you. Right. And $600 is a lot of money to spend. And so I floundered, I will admit, I totally floundered at the beginning. I was like, and I totally, I was like, I feel like a fool. When I first started, I was like, I feel like I'm talking to an empty room. I feel ridiculous saying, this is what I'm working on today. And it's like, I just feel so stupid. No one's listening to this. But you have to just do it anyway, you know, because you don't know until you start and you just do it. And you're going to make mistakes and you're going to post dumb stuff that one person likes. You know, you get three likes and you're like, woohoo, that's more than yesterday. Um and you do have, but you have to find your groove. And um, when I really started to, when I really started to kind of start to figure out, I the question I found myself asking was, okay, who who would want to buy this? And it's the whole you know target market question. But I was like, and I had tried different techniques. You know, like you come up with your ideal customer, and her name is whatever and it's like that didn't help me that whole thing like she likes the color blue that didn't help me I finally just had to say to myself okay look who who would maybe who stitches who would want to stitch and I thought okay stitchers obviously but you know who else and I thought maybe quilters do quilters also do embroidery and um sure enough they do so I started picking out hashtags that were quilting hashtags even though I'm not a quilter I'm not selling quilts or quilting patterns there's a whole avenue of quilters that like to also stitch, either add it to their quilts or just stitch on their own. And then are there sewers or there's, are there cross-stitchers that want to come in? So I had to ask myself, okay, who, who am I trying to talk to? So then I'm going to pull every hashtag I can think of in to try to capture them. And then the question about what to post when you don't know what to post, like I said, I think everyone struggles with that. There are times when I feel like I just have nothing going, nothing that would be worthy of posting. But I did start to tell myself early on when I, like I'm working on something and like something as simple as like I'm stitching. Oh, I got a knot. Okay. Well, that's a common occurrence, right? And it's a very mundane thing, a knot in your thread. But I started asking myself every single step of what I was working on could I make this an Instagram post? Could I make this funny or interesting or something that they will relate to as a stitcher, as someone who is also, you know, doing embroidery. And so I found myself finding lots of things that you would think would just be completely no one cares about, but stitchers care about. Right. So I get a knot and I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to go take a macro photo of this crazy knot on the back of my stitching. And then I'm going to make a post that says, Oh my gosh, everything was going great. And then I turned it, flipped it over and I turned over my hoop and look what was waiting for me. Ha ha ha. Which is silly, but you'd be surprised. Those little things like that, I can get the most response because so many people say, oh my goodness, me too. Those things are crazy. I don't even know how to deal with those. And, you know, I didn't even know it was back there. I get those all the time. How do I avoid that? And then you, and then you have this conversation with all of these people that are, like-minded that are doing the same thing you're doing or interested in the same thing you are so it's such a great avenue to just the little mundane things in your everyday work whatever it is you're doing painting or jewelry or sewing or quilting or whatever you're doing there are things that you're doing every single day that other people are experiencing as well and figure out a way to make it an instagram post i mean honestly i made a post one day i had 
oh, I had ripped out a bunch of stitches. So like, I just had like this fuzz all over my table and it was summertime in, in Texas. Summertime is really hot, even with your air conditioning on. And my room was hot. I had, I was like, man, I'm so hot. I'm going to go turn the fan on. I turned the fan on and the stuff blew everywhere. And I was like, well, that was dumb, right? But I made an Instagram post about it. You know, it's like, trust me, don't turn the fan on after you've just ripped out all these little stitches. And it was just a picture of a pile of fuzz. That's all it was. But it got a laugh. It was a little witty. People were like, oh, my God, I've done the same thing. So even the most mundane thing can be an Instagram post. Not every post has to be, you know, the grand flat lay or the, you know, here's my newest offering uh, for my latest pattern. I mean, obviously, you have those, too. But to create lots of content, which is what Instagram likes, which can feel like a real slog sometimes, just think of everything in your daily, you know, work that could, that they might relate to is what I'm trying to say. Everything is content, you know? Every, yes, <laughs> everything. Yeah, you just have to lead this very, very stitchy life, you know? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. I think that's, that's great advice. Um, and, um, and then you do these stitch alongs on your, um, on your, on your blog where somebody can buy the kit. Um, or they can buy the pattern if they don't want to buy the full kit. And then you kind of um, take them through the process on the blog. Is that right? Yeah. Actually, for the stitch-alongs, I, I've done them a couple. When I first started doing them, I was like, I don't know. Is anybody going to want to do this? I did them a little bit differently. Now the way I do them is they're completely free. Um, they're, it's a pr- sometimes a fairly elaborate pattern, but I try very hard to make like new techniques that people wouldn't have normally done before. So that creates some interest in it. And, um, so what, the way I do it now is they're, they're completely free. You can go on my blog and you can, when the stitch along starts and however many parts it is, it'll have the pattern and the instructions for each part and it's all free. You can buy all your own supplies and transfer the pattern yourself and you don't have to buy a single thing from me. If you want to, you can all, you can buy the kit. And so that, that's good for both people that, you know, either in another country and don't want to pay the shipping for a kit or just have the, already have their own supplies. Or if you want to buy a kit from me, that's great. I'll, you know, I'll sell you the kit too. I see. So it, it's okay. good both ways. Yeah, I, I've, I've kind of found a happy a way I like to do it. That way I can offer them something. And, it, you know, honestly, it's good for me because I, you know, it's a good seller. But I'm also offering something for free that so people don't feel like, you know, it's like one big you know, push for them to buy from me. It doesn't have to be. Um, but the neat thing about stitch alongs is it brings together this huge community of people that all are looking. And there's something about the mindset about we're all doing it at the same time. I mean, yeah, I sell patterns all the time and to this person and they, they buy one and that person over there buy, but something about doing a, um, a design all at the same time. And I post you know, people's progress photos on my stories and I'm talking about it. And, you know, today we're working on this and this part and here's a new technique. Um, it's, it's a really neat sense of community. And I love getting people's progress photos and seeing what they're saying. Oh, I had never tried painting on fabric before and I just did it. And I really love that technique. And here's my, or, or I did it and I, you know, oh, I did this step wrong and I had to figure out a way to fix it. And so I post all that and everybody's sharing each other's progress. It's just a really, really fun sense of 
community and it's building that community. Yeah. And I think building a community around your brand is super, super fun and just wise also. It's, it's, mm-hmm. that's yeah. great. And yeah. doing that through free content, um, is, is, is one way to do that. So that's great. Um, but you also have a product that backs it up so people can, mm-hmm. yeah, can buy the product too. That's great. So people can head over to Lolly and Grace and check those out. Um, and there's one going on right now. So, yeah. um, yeah. All right. So, and I want to make sure we get to to your um, recommendations. Um, mm-hmm. So your first one is um, is Huga, which is, uh, I did not know how to pronounce that, so I will confess that I just went and looked it up before we talked, but it's this concept of coziness um, that um, kind of makes people feel um, comfy and cozy. So tell us um, how you kind of got into doing this or got into this idea. Well, I wish I could say I live the Huga life, but you know, I, my workroom is a constant mess and chaotic. And um, but I love the concept, and that is, you know, a, a, a co- building yourself a a space or a, a place that is comfortable and cozy for you. It's coziness that brings you happiness. I think is sort of the basic definition, and it is a Danish concept. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm like this, like very ethereal, you know. Ooh, no, I, I live a crazy life with a messy house and a dog with dog hair everywhere and a kid. And, you know, it's just it's like crazy. But I love the concept of seeking that, you know, looking for a way to find, even if it's just like for 10 minutes a day, like a place or a something that brings you, that makes you feel cozy. It could be like hot chocolate or, you know, your cup of tea or your coffee or, you know, coffee break, whatever. Just start, you know, striving for I don't achieve it, I don't think, but I certainly strive for it. And I think I mentioned in the same thing, it's that it's a looking for a moment of joy, even a little bitty, small thing of joy doesn't have to cost any money. It's just being open and aware to the daily joys that crop up in your life amongst the chaos and the pandemic, which is not a minor thing. And, you know, everything else going on, finding those the more you seek out a little, those little spots of joy, those little moments of joy, the more you, the better you feel, the happier you are. I think there was a, a guy at, was it at Google or Apple or one of the, you know, one of the big massive companies that that was like his job. His job was to, and he's now, I think he's written a book about how to exist in this crazy chaotic world and, but how to be happier in it. And that's, it is to seek out joy. And so, you know, if you take a five minute walk and you look over and there's a bee buzzing around a flower, you're like, that is a significant moment of joy. Or if you clean one corner of your desk and you look over and you're like, wow, that little clean corner brings me joy. <laughs> or that's a Hugo little corner for me. <laughs> Those two things together, I think are really interesting concepts yeah. and something to strive for. Yeah. And sometimes it's just taking that moment to look, you know, it's, yeah, it, yeah totally. Cause it's there and like, uh, organizing your markers in rainbow order, you know, it's like these exactly. little things. Yeah. Anything, yeah. anything. Yeah, that totally. One of my favorite patterns that I did and I, I rarely stitch something twice, but I actually did this one twice because I liked it so much. Um, it's a quote I love, and I'm going to go make sure I look at it. Life is a series of thousands of tiny miracles. And I love that quote because you're like, you know, the miracles don't have to be huge or life-altering. They can be just the tiniest, tiniest little thing that can be like, that was a little bitty miracle. That was really cool. <laughs> I feel better now. So yeah, it, it's a it's a mindset for sure. 
And then, yeah, totally. And then you wanted to recommend a YouTube channel, and I've watched these videos before myself, and I just watched one again last night. Um, after you recommended them, I refound this channel. Um, so this is a Chinese YouTuber. Her name is Li Zichi, and she lives like in the countryside, and she gardens, and she crafts, and she cooks. Um, and it's just beautifully shot and so relaxing. Very relaxing. I, I kind of stumbled across one of these one day. It was first thing in the morning and I it just kind of, I don't even know why it came across my Facebook feed and I clicked on it and I just sat there mesmerized for the whole seven minutes and I thought, what a wonderful way to start my day after I've kind of checked the news and all the stuff going on. I'm like, I'm just going to go over and I'm going to watch this video. But yes, she, um, her story is, I, she's, I think she's in maybe in her late 20s now. She lived in the city, and then I, I think she moved back to the country with her grandparents, and now it's her grandmother. And so now she gardens and cooks and, har- and plants food, and she makes, she sews, and she does embroidery, and she builds walls, and she builds furniture. I mean, like these very intensely hard physical labor things. And, um, you know, it's all, there's no, some of the, some of the videos, I can't find a rhyme or reason. Some seem to have a translation at the bottom. Some don't, um, which I've discovered. I almost like the ones that don't have the translation better because you just, I'm always asking myself, well, was that salt or sugar she used? Or was that, you know, what was that? What was that? I have no idea what that was. She just put in that dish, but that's really interesting. But she's what's beautiful what she's doing with it. It's nice not to have the information constantly being being bombarded with the information. You just sort of take it in visually, and uh, and there's always some music with it, some nice relaxing music and beautiful countryside. And yeah, it's it's really fascinating just to watch her do whatever it is that she. You know, sometimes it's all about tomatoes or corn or. It's know. just it's very ambitious. Yeah, <laughs> that's one thing. I, her story is interesting. I I did see a little thing about her where when she first started, it was just her filming. So it was just she had propped her, I don't know if it was her phone or you know her camera or whatever. She just propped her camera and then she would go in front of it and she would walk by it. And even though now that, I mean, I think she's like the highest paid um, videographer or you know whatever YouTuber in from China, but. She still, she, I think she has an assistant occasionally now, but she still films them in the same way. So it still looks like it's just her putting her camera on the ground or on a little stand and then she does her thing. <laughs> so it's still, it's still a very sort of a simple visual, bu- visual, visually stunning, but, you know, she kept that same aesthetic, even though she now, you know, has a, someone helping her film. But yeah, it's, it's, it's relaxing and I've gotten my husband hooked on him. I mean, you know, he, you know, when I first showed him, he was like, yeah, okay, whatever. But then now he's like, hey, Lizzie Chi has a new video out. Let's go watch it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so now he's excited when a new one comes out. That's funny. Yeah. Um, and then you don't really play uh, phone games, it sounds like, or games on your phone, but you like Monument Valley. And my kids play Monument Valley as well. Yeah, I, I you know, I find if I ever do start playing a game, I, I – I end up with a headache and my, I have a crick in my neck and my hands hurt. And it's like, this was a waste of time. But the one game that I did find very captivating was Monument Valley. I know it's been out for a while, so I'm way behind the times. I think there's a part, a second, 
edition, you know, out. And it, 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 even that was a couple of years ago. But yeah, it was, again, it was just, um, it was challenge, enough challenging mentally that you know, to, to figure out the puzzles, these architectural puzzles with buildings that turn and you have to unlock secrets to it. And it's very, her story, Ida's story is very, um, it's like, why is she on this quest? I don't really understand, but I'm just going to be patient and see it play out. The, the visuals were beautiful. The colors were interesting. I love color. I have, you know, a long history with loving color. Um, yeah, just really, just really interesting. It's the only thing that I, only game I ever, well, maybe for, ang- except for Angry Birds way back when, but um, really I ever stuck with was Monument Valley. It's so. funny because several of my podcasts guests have um, recommended that game. So I think yeah, it, it yeah. appeals to artists. It's <laughs> just it interesting. Must. It really must. Yeah. yeah. Well, Annette, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. Well, thank you so much for ha- having me. I really appreciate it. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.